Okay, I want to start off today with something that, uh, that makes everybody smile. Like, here we are only a couple of days into the Stanley Cup playoffs, and already everybody is cranky and tired and angry <laughs> and venting <laughs> and all the things uh, that I guess you would expect come playoff time. I guess we're seeing it, and we're just seeing it really early. And yes, we're going to get to the Rod Brindamore comments uh, after yesterday's game. But I want to start out with something that's uh, a little bit more pure, something that'll help remind you um, that there are still happy people out there and something that's just sort of like pureness uh, in its essence. Uh, the Edmonton Oilers yesterday beat the Los Angeles Kings. They almost handed it back to L.A. 4-2 is the final. Uh, once again, the Edmonton Oilers get out to a, to a 2 nothing lead. Just dominate, like, just dominate the Los Angeles Kings in that first period yesterday. I don't think L.A. had a, a shot on goal until like the, the 17 or 18 minute mark. Uh, shots on goal in the first 11-3. to This was the tilted rink that we always hear about. Um, um, they let the Los Angeles Kings get back into it and then you know, take it away in the, uh, in, in the third period and end up evening up the series, heading to Los Angeles for games three and four. Yes, Leon Dreisaitl was outstanding, comma, again. Uh, Skinner real good as well, 22 saves in the winning efforts. Um, but afterwards, I, I want to play this. This is, this is so good. I've talked a lot this year, I think we all have, about the presence and performance of Clem Coston with the Edmonton Oilers. Now, he was traded to the, uh, uh, to, uh, from the St. Louis Blues in exchange for Dmitry Samarukov. And what I think is one of the, outside of what we saw around trade deadline, folks, uh, one of the best deals of the year. Um, he provided some bottom six toughness, um, stayed in the lineup, uh, skilled player, can score some goals uh, for the team. Like, at a lot of different levels. This guy came in and was the perfect fit. And when I think of, up until this season, when I had traditionally thought about Clem Coston, I had thought about his draft. And if you'll recall when Clem Coston was drafted, it was 2017. And what the NHL experimented with or tried to do that year uh, was they had all the projected first-round picks backstage. So they weren't, you remember this? So they weren't coming out of the audience. There wasn't that, you know, announcement from the team, camera goes to, you know, the shot of the family, shot of the kids, the hugs, the, all of that. Um, families were still there, but they were backstage with all of the players, and they would go and put on their baseball hat and, and, and go out. I can recall, because I was working backstage for that one, holding the stick, and I can recall just watching all the players leave and Clem Coston sitting there all by himself. And I remember talking to people saying, is he really not going to get picked? Is Clem Coston really not going to get selected? He's going to be the guy that was back here while everybody else, Robert Thomas, Morgan Frost, Shane Bowers, all these guys later on, uh, Henry Yokoharju, uh, all these guys end up leaving. And he's the last man, not standing, but the last man sitting backstage. And thankfully, the St. Louis Blues drafted him 31st overall. Wasn't a fit with St. Louis, but it seems like it's been a great fit with the Edmonton Oilers. He is, like, there's a couple of Oilers players that you just love to hear speak. Um, Leon Dreisaitl might be at the top of that list, but challenging him for the best player to talk to after a game uh, is Clem Costin. Here's Clem Costin yesterday, and this is a masterclass on how to address the hometown 
fans. This is another reason why Clem Costin is just flat out one of the best interviews, pre-game, post-game, in-game, anywhere with the Edmonton Oilers. Uh, Paige Martin holding the stick on this one. Here's Clem Costin after the game yesterday. First of all, I want to say I'm sorry for my English. My English is not really good. But you guys can't even imagine how proud I am to be in the, the team. It's just amazing. Thank you so much. So simple, so perfect. Clem Costin, who scored, who scored a goal last night, and you know the interesting thing about if you, if you go back and you watch the goal, so he gets the zone, and the first thing he does is he opens up his skates, right, ten and two, like everyone does now, and they step over the blue line, and the first thing he's doing is looking for Leon Drysaddle. Like if Drysaddle's on the ice, Costin knows uh, find Leon because he's finding the back of the net five points in two games for the Edmonton Oilers. Uh, Leon's not there for the pass, so just rips one, like just rips one uh, and and scores. Anyway, a wonderful night for Clem Cawson. I just wanted to start off with some positivity. Like, this is going to be like almost a full two hours of, you know, negativity and anger and people being pissed off and everyone's upset about everything. I just wanted to open up the program today and use Clem Coston to maybe help make us all smile because I know it's intense. I know it's the playoffs, but it's hockey. Enjoy it. Welcome to the Merrick Show. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Brought to you by Clem Coston of the Edmonton Oilers. As we're uh, we're standing by for Elliot Friedman, Lance uh, at Master Control, he's going to let me know when uh, when he's on board. Um, a lot to get to from last night. How'd you like those Florida Panthers? Who saw that coming? Show of hands. Uh, no, nobody saw that coming, but nonetheless. Uh, the series is tied, heading back to sunrise. Uh, the Florida Panthers stun, absolutely stunned the Boston Bruins yesterday. Although you can really say that it was a self-inflicted wound. How many times have we watched the Boston Bruins this season and saw them turn the puck over as much as they did yesterday? Uh, the answer is seldom, if ever. Um, that was a very un-Boston Bruins-like performance yesterday. Uh, Dallas Stars filled the net. 7-3 is the final there. And Rupe Hins was the star of the show, scoring uh, in his hat-trick uh, a shorthanded goal. That happened early. Breakaway, too. Who gets shorthanded breakaways? Uh, shorthanded breakaway, Rupe Hins scores a power play goal and an even-strength goal as well. 7-3 is the final uh, on that one. And the Carolina Hurricanes, we will talk plenty about this game. Uh, in overtime, they beat the New York Islanders by a final score of 4 Two threes. We welcome aboard Elliot Friedman from Hockey Night in Canada and 32 Thoughts. And Elliot, we're going to get to uh, tonight's games in a couple of moments. And, you know, an absolutely huge one in, in Toronto is the Tampa Bay Lightning face off against the Maple Leafs in game two. Uh, but I opened up the show by playing the post game comments from Clem Costin, as charming as he is, had a huge goal for the Oilers yesterday. Let's, let's start with Edmonton. And I want to get to Leon. But one of the points that I was making was outside of trade deadline. <coughs> And all those moves that were made around deadline. Clem Costin was one of the best deals of the season by any team, true or false. Like, Dimitri Samarukov goes the other way. Um, yep. And Clem Costin almost right away in the lineup, distinguishes himself, scores a big goal last night. He brings some, some toughness to the team as well uh, on a whole lot of levels, including, as we saw last night with Paige Martin, a really charming level as well. This guy's been a home run for the Oilers. 
Well, Jeff, normally you deal in falsehoods, but this time uh, you're accurate. <laughs> uh, this is oh, thank you. I think tr- uh, you know he like like Ken Holland's best deal since he got to Edmonton is is at home. I, I think everybody would would argue yes. that, but I. I, I, but after I, I, that, I think the best deal is is Costin. Um, and uh, you know the the thing that surprised me last night was after he scored, I looked at the ice time. He only played seven forty two. Like once they went down to eleven forwards, you knew that somebody was going to suffer, and uh, it ended up being him. Uh, and I was surprised at that because he was such a presence. Like he had fun, Like he made the most of his time. He had five hits and. And, and during that TOI, and he scored the winning goal, as you mentioned. But, um, you know, playoffs are about two things, your stars and your depth, right? And I'd say goaltending, but stars, depth, and goaltending. And uh, they got a lot from their stars last night, and they got a big goal from their depth. But uh, I'm with you. Uh, a great night for him and a great deal for the Oilers. Three points for Leon Draisaitl last night. Uh, Jay Woodcroft saying, you know, uh, by a wide margin, um, Leon Draisaitl has been the best player. Uh, he's been fantastic uh, for the Edmonton Oilers. Uh, Gabe Velarde returns, missed the final nine games of the regular season, the first one of this series. Uh, he finds the back of the net for the Los Angeles Kings as well. Um, Stuart Skinner with 22 saves, the first period just all Edmonton, and then, yeah. and this is the concerning part if you the Oilers, in a, in a, even albeit in a win, uh, they let LA back into this one. That second period, they they opened the door for the Los Angeles Kings, and all of a sudden we're tied. And I don't know about you, but I'm sitting there watching this, and I'm saying, uh oh, are we going through this again with the Oilers and the Kings? Well, I don't think you were the only one, and uh, I think the other thing was that. I thought Kelly and, and Kevin did a really good job of showing how some of that stuff was self-inflicted, right? Like the DRNA bringing the pocket, like he's been really good, but you know, like, I don't know what he was thinking at the end of the period there, carrying the puck up like that. And Trevor Moore picked his pocket in the, in the two, two goal. And on the first one, like initially I thought Bouchard was, was late getting to his man or got beat by his man coming out of the corner and Kevin was the one who actually pointed out because, you know, God forbid a defenseman ever make a mistake, but um, the, 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 <laughs> the two forwards actually blew the zone because they thought Edmonton was going to yeah. have the puck. And, you know, I, like, I think that's the thing. Like Edmonton at the end of the regular season, they were a really detail-oriented team. And I think they've shown that when they're firing in this series, they are better than L.A., but L.A., like they play mm. a structure and they discipline and they stick around. And if you make mistakes, they make you eat it. And that has been their um, that has been their recipe pretty successfully this series. I have to say, Corpusalo, um, he's been he's been really good. Like it's like it's like that. It, it just reminds me of that interview with Peter Laviolette in Game Seven of that Philly Boston series, where he told Michael Layton, "You can't give up any more goals, right?" And and Layton did it. Like you know, clearly. Corpus Salo knows that there's a limit to what he can do here. I think it was a game. It was in December. It was a game Columbus against Buffalo. And it was, I think it was after that game. Yeah, it was after that game that Corpus Salo really turned a corner. And when you look at all the, you know, all the numbers provided by Valiquette's clear sight analytics, like he distinguished himself as, as one of, at that point on, uh, the top 10 goalies in the NHL. Like that was a hell of a deal. We talked about a great deal for Clem Costin with Edmonton. 
That was a great pickup by Rob Blake and the Los Angeles Kings. It'll be interesting. You know, we talk about Bubble Demko. I mean, this is Bubble Corpusalo that we're seeing. This was the guy that we saw in, in the bubble, and it's a great pickup for the Los Angeles Kings. Uh, I want to get to Carolina, and I want to get to this game because uh, this one had its fair share of, as they say across the pond, controversy, Elliot, controversy. Yes. Um, fast with the OT winner. There's the uh, the Martinook high stick on Mayfield. There's the discrepancy in power plays, and Tavo Teravainen gets his hand broken. Uh, the slash by JG Pajo, and essentially nobody's happy at the end of this. Find no. me one. Ha- I, I can't find anyone happy on the Islanders. I know Carolina's up two games, but I can't find anyone who's happy there. This is this this is the grumpy series. Everybody in this series is pissed off. Don't they understand the weather's starting to get a bit nicer? The sun is out. People should be in a better mood. Yeah, you know, and, and I'll tell you, I don't know. like the the, the Brindamore thing was interesting to me because obviously he's hugely frustrated because now they're down three forwards. You, you've already got yeah. uh, Pacioretty and Svechnikov out, and now you had Tara Vinans in the list. You know, it was interesting. Like, we were watching the, the, the game last night. We were watching the play last night after um, – uh, after Brendan Moore brought it up, and like when when and we were just it was just weird. Like when Taravine and sla- gets slashed by um, Peugeot, he doesn't really react. But then on the uns- ensuing mm-hmm. faceoff, um, Mayfield gets his stick in on him, and that's when Taravine and uh, you know reacts. So I don't know if it was a delayed reaction or or what, but. You know that was that was we were when we were watching that it was it was interesting. You know, like the thing about Brimore was he 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 undoubtedly knows like he's pissed off because he's lost the player, but he undoubtedly he undoubtedly knows what the narrative is going to be. Right? It's it's six nothing mm-hmm. power plays the the play with Mayfield in overtime. Like to me, that was almost like okay. We know that what the narrative is going to be, and we're going to get hammered for it in Game Three. So I'm coming out and I'm firing the preemptive volleys. Like that was, mm. like to me, that was it was a combination frustration and also <coughs> knowing what the Islanders are going to say and and making sure that you've got like a preventive shield in that. That's kind of the way I looked at that. I know I'm not the only one. Um, but, mm-hmm. you know, I, I didn't like the missed call in overtime. You know, I, I saw what, like, I really like Michael Rupp's work. I think he does a lot of really uh, interesting work. I, I just respectfully disagree with his opinion on this one. I think that's a penalty. I don't think the fact that, you know, Mayfield, um, uh, that, uh, that, that Mayfield. Lifted Martinuk's stick. Uh, yeah, lifted the stick. Like, I, I'm, not, I'm not going with that. I think it's a penalty. Um, you know, I, I think it was a missed call. I mean, I don't know what else to say to you. The one thing I will say about Mayfield is he has to get back into the play. Like, you, like in, in these games, you cannot milk it. You have to get back into the play. And, you know, that was, you know, that was one of the reasons that Carolina scored there. But, look, if I was on the other end of a game where the power plays were six to nothing – and that play happened like five seconds before an overtime winner. I'd be furious too. Like there's, there's no way of shielding it. Like you, I would be, I would be really angry. I would say, are you telling me the other team didn't commit a penalty? 
But at the end of the day, you know, Carolina earned the win. Uh, they did, and they're up 2-0, um, and the venue now shifts. Oh, by the way, just real quick on that, we talked so much about third lines and, and how much if you know the top six washes. That third line, and this was fastest score of the goal, fast, stall, and Martinuk, like a really effective, we talked about Carolina before, uh, a really effective third line there. Um, you predicted the Florida Panthers were going to walk into Boston and split, right? Like that was you who, uh, <clears throat> who made that, yes. uh, that proclamation, Elliot? Yes, I absolutely said that. He <laughs> said that they were uh, Sam Bennett away from splitting the series, I believe, quite accurately, right? And Brandon Montour was going to score a pair of goals, too, one from distance. I, I have to say, you know, I thought Bennett was the best player on the ice last night. I thought, you know, I, I thought he was really good. Uh, no question about it. I thought he was, I thought he, he added a huge difference last night. And uh, it'll be interesting. Like, I saw Montgomery's quote. Uh, this morning, like he's not sure if Bergeron's traveling with the team. I I, I gotta tell you, I was like, uh, okay, like, are you telling me that the head coach of the Boston Bruins doesn't know if his captain is traveling with the team to Florida? I, I don't know if I'm I'm buying that one. What um what did you make of the uh, the Nosek on Eric Stahl? We're gonna get to the bunting situation here in a couple of seconds. What do you think of Nosek on Stahl? I mean, obviously, it should have been a penalty. I don't. I don't think anybody like, uh, like uh, you know. I, I like. I know what people are going to argue that you know, stall you know moved, but I, I think that that especially late in the game. Like I know I, I. I think what you need to do, like, like I, I thought the. I told you in a pod, like the one game I thought people uh, that the referees really lost control of was Minnesota Dallas, and I don't know if you watched the. That was game one. I mean. And if you watched the end of the game last night, like they were, they were giving out mis- misconducts, like they were free candy, like they were just like, get out, we're not dealing with you, get lost. And I thought that was, you know, as you know, I'm not somebody who minds uh, the rough stuff, but you know, I thought they did a really good job last night. They just tossed people out of the game, and uh, <clears throat> I kind of thought that that's what should have happened there too. But there's no doubt in my mind that that was that was a penalty. Okay, so that series splits, as does uh, the aforementioned Dallas-Minnesota. 7-3, to three, Rupe Hens front and center in this one. A power play goal, a shorthanded goal, uh, an even strength goal. Miro Haskinen. You know, I go off Miro Haskinen. He's been, you know, he was good uh, in the first game, albeit in a losing effort. And then, re- excuse me, <clears throat> really good last night uh, with a four-assist performance. Uh, real quick, you know, Marc-Andre Fleury is going to be the story here. Uh, he called his performance embarrassing, allows seven um, this is, you know, off of a, a great goaltending performance that we saw. I think this one raised a few eyebrows. Like we talked a lot about, you know, who was gonna, who was gonna split the uh, the goaltending duties of any team in the NHL, and we did wonder about Minnesota. But when you look at how good Philip Gustafson was in Game One, Mark Andre Fleury comes back, not exactly his standard. Uh, called him uh, called his performance embarrassing, as I mentioned. Uh, that's going to be one of the stories coming out of this one. But what's your big story coming out of the Dallas Minnesota seven three beatdown by the Stars? Well, you know, I think the decision to start Flurry, like I think this goes back to how you feel. Like if people will remember a couple of years ago when the Dodgers played the uh, Rays in the World Series, and you know the Rays took out Blake Snell in that deciding game, the one that the Dodgers clinched the victory on. And it comes down to process versus 
individual situation. Um, you know, the pro- Tampa Bay's process was, no, we take our, our starting pitcher out in this situation, and we're not bending it no matter what, where we are. We're not bending it in game 26 or in, in the deciding game of the World Series. We're just, you know, we're, we're just not doing that. We're sticking to who we are. And Minnesota had a situation the other night where, you know, they could have said, you know what, Gustafson was so good, we're playing him again. But no, we're sticking to our process. And I think the way you feel about that decision is probably the way you felt about Snell getting pulled in that World Series game. That was actually the first thing I thought of. Well, now, after what happened, I think now the biggest question becomes, how does Minnesota decide this again? Like, you know, if Gustafson comes back in for game three, and based on what they've done, he's coming back for game three, and he has another really good night, what do you do here? Do you, do you like, <clears throat> Minnesota set this up. They've been doing it a certain way, and they clearly wanted it a certain way for the playoffs. So now, like, I mean, if Gustafson comes in game three and he has, he has a really rough night, the decision is, is easy. Like, you, you go, you, I mean, yeah. easier, I would say. But if he comes back and he has a big game, Jeff, what are you doing now? Are you sticking to your process? Are you saying... Uh, mm. we don't have time for this. Like, it's kind of like this, the tonight in Toronto <laughs> with Samsonov. Like, like as far as I'm concerned, the, uh, Samsonov probably has one more start. If he comes out and he has a rough night tonight, I don't know. Like, with all the, everything that's on the line in the franchise, are you going to mm. wall for game three? But if Samsonov has a big night tonight and – and I think 100% he should be starting tonight. I think the idea of pulling him after that first game is crazy. But, you know, if he, if he has a rough night tonight, do you just basically throw your models out and saying, we don't have time to stick to process. We've got to now yeah. go based on performance. Let, let, let's get there then, because this is uh, one of four big games on the go around the NHL this evening. Uh, this one will be the uh, the seven o'clock Eastern start. Uh, Tampa and Toronto, the Devils and the Rangers go at seven thirty Eastern. Uh, Avalanche and Kraken, Golden Knights and Winnipeg Jets. Sean Reynolds comes up here at the bottom of the hour. Um, so Michael Bunting gets the three game suspension, uh, and as we suspect, uh, Matthew Nyes draws in not as his direct replacement. Uh, Kelly Yarncroft goes up to the uh, to the top line with Matthews and Marner. Uh, quick thought on the number, the three, and that is uh, that is part of the multiplier. When you look at uh, regular season suspensions, cut them in half, and that's what you get for the playoffs. So we should assume then that that hit is a six-gamer in the regular season? Uh, pretty much. Um, you know, and, you know, Berkey always used to tell us that, and I don't believe that that has really changed. Um uh, like to me, I, like the thing I'm watching, the thing I always wonder about that is when they decide something's a suspendable hit, one of the things they do is they'll ask the team that's affected for the, the medical. And I remember talking about this once and they say, look, like we need to know the medical and it's kind of like, you better not be BSing us. And so mm-hmm. immediately when I saw the length of the suspension uh, the, uh, the, the yesterday, and I guess Cernak was not at the morning skate today, immediately I thought that Cernak is out for a few games. 
And I mean, we'll see. I could be, I could be proven to be right about that. I could be proven to be wrong about that. But the fact he wasn't even at the skate today, the fact that we know he's not playing tonight, um, you know, I, I don't like to jump to conclusions. And, and ultimately, we'll, the, the, this story will play out over the next three to five days. But I really do wonder if, if, if that's what came down to it, is, is, is the injury diagnosis. Like the other thing someone said to me was, if you watch the video, he's suspended for two things, an illegal hit to the head and interference. So I think that's a factor too. But the, the number one thing I look at when I see that is that I'm, I'm really curious to see when Cernak is coming back here. Because if it turns out that he misses multiple games, I don't think people are going to be as upset about it then as, as anyone right. who might have been last night. To me, that's the, that's the factor here. You know, and the, the other thing, too, is we'll, uh, we'll wait and see about Victor Hedman. You know, we talked about this on the last podcast, radio show, everywhere. Um, no Cernak, and if there's no Hedman as well, that's a whole lot of, and no disrespect to, you know, to, to Perbix and, and Radish, but that's a whole lot of young defensemen all of a sudden uh, on the Tampa Bay Lightning. Now I know Vasilevsky is the human eraser. I get that. We know what they can do up front, you know, the, the, the power with their, their top six to say nothing of the, you know, the, the clutch goal scoring and performance of the bottom six as well. But I don't know how many times the Tampa Bay Lightning can get, you know, can get, uh, can get hurdles placed in front of them. But if you couple Cernak with Hedman, that is a really tall order for John Cooper. Well, I, I, I think it's, you know, I, I completely agree with you on that. I mean, if, if that's, if, you know, we'll see what happens with Hedman tonight. But, like, if I'm coaching the Maple Leafs, that's what I'm selling. You know, the other night, it was an awful night. <laughs> it's been mentioned a couple of times, Jeff, that, hey, Toronto won game one last year, 5 nothing, and lost the series. Like, this is not a total yep. goal series. Toronto is not starting tonight minus four. Like, it's, it's zeros. And, and that's what everybody has to remember is that you get a chance to start over. And if I'm the, the Maple Leafs, the thing I'm trying, selling is there's no way we're as bad as we were in game one. And we have to fix our own problems, whether they're in net or in front of the net or anywhere else. But also, um, if they're missing, well, Cernak for sure, and possibly uh, Hedman, we have to take advantage of that. Like we're like they should feel they're 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 as good if not better than Tampa, based on the full rosters and the full season. And they should really feel that they're better than Tampa if Cernak and Hedman are not playing. Like if you don't feel that you can beat mm-hmm. that team without those two guys, no matter what else is on the rest of the roster, then you should just cancel the series. And that's what you have to sell. Uh, I always tell people to temper expectations with young players making playoff debuts. You know, having said that, man, Brock Faber looks what, good. What, what but I always say, you know, temper. temper <laughs> I know, I know, I know that everyone in Toronto is expecting, you know, Matthew Nyes, you know, to to turn into like the new age Mike Bossy here and just like rip two down the wing uh, and and lead the Maple Leafs here. But he'll he'll start by playing with Ryan O'Reilly and uh, Nola Chari. It appears. 
What do you expect out of Matthew Nyes? You know what? I, I just hope that uh, he seems like a pretty mature kid, which I think is the most important here thing here. Like he just can't ha- come in and think he has to win the series on the first shift. Like, like you know, last night Sam Bennett came in back into the game, and you know, obviously Kelly's watched Sam Bennett for a long time, and he said that the thing that concerned him the most is that Bennett would be so wired up he he'd do something that he'd regret, and Bennett was perfect. He he did an absolutely great job, and and Kelly said that at the end of the game. Like, that's what I, I think. Like, the, like as hard as it is, you, you've got to be measured. Um, you, you've, you've got to use the emotion and the excitement, but you can't think, like, I'm riding in in my cape to save the series. You've got to do what you've mm-hmm. got to do. Like, watching him last week, he didn't look out of place. Like, there's a, there's a really good player there, Jeff. Um, but, yeah. you know, this is a bigger animal. And he just has to make sure that he, you know, he, he sticks to what he does well. And he does a lot of things well. I'm excited to see it. He really does. I know. I can't wait. Uh, I can't wait to watch a lot of the game. I mean, all the games um, are, are full of great storylines. Um, I'm going to talk to Sean Reynolds here in a couple of moments about the Jets and the Golden Knights. But as we uh, bid you good afternoon, a quick thought on the Kraken and the Avalanche. Like, the Kraken have already done what they set out to do um, in Denver. They yeah. won a game. So whatever happens tonight, if they win, that's great. If they lose, well, that's great, too. They've got the split going back to Seattle. What do you look for tonight between these two teams? Philip Grubauer was outstanding uh, in that first game for the uh, for the Seattle Kraken. What do you look for tonight? Well, first of all, ask Sean if he's up or down. That's that's the most important information. Uh, secondly, okay. um, uh, you know, well, Grubauer he was excellent. I, I still can't stop laughing at that McKinnon scrum. Where uh, what, so what did Grubauer? <laughs> what did Grubauer show you? Like nothing. Like that's so okay. McKinnon. It's just it's just fantastic. Yeah. I think that's so good. Um, you know, look like he like you know he's going to have to be great, consistently great. Um, you know, the, the one thing I, I really liked about Seattle in that game is like we talked we talked about it. They stuck to what they do. They didn't get out of their identity. They stayed to who they are. Yeah. And. You know, like that's that's what you have to do. Like I, I think Colorado clearly will be a lot better. We expect them to be a lot better, and they know they're going to get a yep. wounded animal tonight. So the Kraken just have to stick to what they are. All right, uh, we will be tuned in. Uh, all the action begins uh, on Sportsnet at six thirty Eastern with the pregame show, and then the uh, the puck drops uh, at seven o'clock Eastern, just after. Uh, on Sportsnet and CBC, it's the Maple Leafs and the Lightning on 360, the Rangers Devils. Uh, also on 360, the Avs and Seattle and the Winnipeg Jets on CBC and Sportsnet. Uh, that gets underway uh, sometime in and around 10 Eastern. All right, Fridge, uh, get your rest, hydrate, don't drink too many cups of coffee, and I'll talk to you in the, the wee hours for a very late-night podcast tonight. All right, my man. Speak to you later on. There he is, Elliot Friedman from 32 Thoughts and Hockey Night in Canada. Uh, hit a pause, come back. Sean Reynolds uh, will check in, and this is going to be a fascinating one. The Winnipeg Jets, you know, marched into Vegas, T-Mobile, and stunned the Vegas Golden Knights and smothered 
the Vegas Golden Knights. Vegas only mustering 17 shots. Pierre-Luc Dubois, probably the best player on the ice uh, for either team. He was uh, a, a one-man gang. Uh, we'll see what happens tonight. 5-1 to one, two nights ago for the Winnipeg Jets. Uh, we'll see what happens this evening. Uh, Sean Reynolds from the NHL on Sportsnet and Hockey Night in Canada joins me in moments. Also, coming up, Hour 2, Eric Erlinson, uh, lightninginsider.com, comments on Tampa. And uh, Colby Armstrong from the NHL on TNT, uh, the NHL on Sportsnet as well, will be uh, stopping by. And I'll share with you that idea uh, about how to encourage hate-watching in the NHL, spoiler, there's a draft component to it as well. Dun, 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 dun. That's called like the cheese in the trap or the radio hook, get them listening longer, all that kind of stuff. That's coming up in hour two. Uh, but joining me next, Sean Reynolds. Merrick Show continues, Sportsnet 360, and on radio across the Sportsnet radio network.